0: You're listening to The Itch, a podcast exploring all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your co-host, Courtney, a real-life allergy, asthma, and eczema girl. And I'm your second
1: host, Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergy, asthma, and immunology doctor. Courtney and I hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies, asthma, and immunology. itch.
0: Today we're interviewing Emma Amoscado, the blogger behind The Free From Farmhouse. She has a book coming out at the end of this week called Living With Allergies, Practical Tips for All the Family. Her book's been endorsed and clinically reviewed by Allergy UK. It's also been endorsed by Dr. Adam Fox, who's the president of the British Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. I just finished the book this morning and it's really good. So, We're gonna be giving a copy away at the end of the week. Check out our Instagram to see how you can enter. We're excited that Emma is our first guest because she was also in DC last May where Dr. Gupta and I first met. So we've all been in the same space and have exchanged ideas on allergies and asthma, which is exciting and kind of cool because we all live in different countries. Today, Emma shares with us her journey as an allergy mom and how she manages her son James' asthma. We jump into the topic of asthma a little bit, but we're going to be doing a deep dive episode about it, so we don't go too in depth, but don't worry, if you have more questions, it's coming. Before we jump into the episode, I just want to apologize for the sound quality. We are slowly getting better at this whole tech thing, and we are slowly investing in some more pimped gear, so sound will be more optimal coming soon. We hope you enjoy the episode, and let's get to it. Hi, Emma. Thank you for being the first guest on The Itch. Why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about your journey into the world of allergies and asthma? Hi
2: there. Uh, Yeah, it's a pleasure to join you guys uh, on the podcast. So my journey started, I mean, I guess it started when I was a child. I had asthma then. Um, We've got asthma and allergies and hay fever in our family. My husband does too. So then when we had two children, unfortunately, the genetics got passed on to them. And I've got two children with multiple food allergies, environmental allergies. And my son also has asthma as well. Um, So yeah, we got thrown into that when he was a baby um, and when he had an anaphylactic reaction when he was one, um, I started a blog all about it called Free From Farmhouse Um, because my background as a journalist means the way I deal with things is I want to start writing, researching, looking into things Um, and yeah that's helped me learn more, connect with more people, go with you lovely ladies to Washington and yeah just arm myself with more knowledge really and hopefully help others along the way. When you started writing was it
0: just your son who had the allergies or were both of them, did you start writing when both of them started having allergies so you needed that connection between the two of them? It wasn't just I'm dealing with one, I'm dealing with two children.
2: No, when I first started the blog, um, I hadn't had my daughter yet. So um, James was only, how old was he, 15 months old. And um, so we'd found out he'd been diagnosed with all his allergies when he was about nine months, and we started getting more into it. He'd also had a bout of bronchiolitis to in hospital with during that time. And then when he was 15 months old, he got hold of another child's milk bottle and took a sip and had an anaphylactic reaction. And that kind of obviously heightened everything a bit more and uh, kicked things up a notch. And that's when I really started to kind of, take things seriously and think, okay, I need to need to know more about this. Was that his first time reacting with that one drink of milk? Yeah, he'd had reactions in the past. Um, he'd had various different reactions from kind of full body hives to vomiting um, really severe eczema when he was a baby all sorts of reactions but that was the first time it went straight to breathing difficulties he had to sip from this milk bottle and then yeah we had to use the use the adrenaline injector on him. Oh so you already carried one with you? We already carried one yeah he'd already been diagnosed at nine months and I think because of his past reactions and because he had multiple different allergies um, came up very highly to nuts and all sorts they gave us thankfully he'd already given us the adrenaline injectors before he had yeah before he had that reaction
1: so so that's interesting so the I mean he kind of started off with his eczema right so kind of started with the eczema and then did that trigger your doctors to kind of do the food allergy
2: testing oh that's a a long and bumpy story which unfortunately I think is quite common for a lot of parents um he had very severe eczema by the time he was about 10 weeks old He was just, he was red raw. He was losing weight. He wasn't sleeping. He was a very unhappy baby. Um, And we were at the doctors a lot with them saying, put more creams on. And me saying, it's not working. Nothing's helping. It's not doing anything. We ended up in hospital with him. um, And I remember... The consultant dermatologist coming down at that point and me asking could it be I think I must have looked into it at that point because I said could it be the allergens going through my breast milk do you think he could be allergic to something and the consultant dermatologist saying no it wouldn't be this severe he wouldn't be reacting this badly through your breast milk and sadly at the time I didn't know any better and I believed them and they got on, on some very strong steroids and it started clearing up but the second we tried to step down or slow down the steroids it just just flared back up again so it wasn't until I started weaning him and started giving him solids and he had some reactions to milk products and then I gave him a bit of hummus and he had a a big reaction to the sesame and that that we finally got referred and got the testing from there
1: Yeah, that's actually, I mean, it's a huge, it's still a problem in the state. um, It's almost like a struggle sometimes. And we're definitely going to talk to a dermatologist down the line, but Mm -hmm. there is a struggle between um, dermatologists, knowledge, pediatrician's knowledge, yeah. and an allergist' knowledge and how that all kind of plays out. And when the patient actually gets to an allergist, finally, um, yeah. it is always um, super interesting to me because I, I I mean, I guess in my head, everything just kind of seems really practical. Like, yes, if you have eczema, you need to get food allergy tested, but it's just that kind of A to B doesn't happen. And it takes a while sometimes for that to actually happen, which is really unfortunate.
2: Very really frustrating. I think both in primary care there's issues with things being misdiagnosed and yeah i mean this was a dermatologist at a very good hospital here it wasn't it wasn't you know somebody that shouldn't know what they were talking about but yeah i've had so many people with so many stories it's such yeah it's so sad to hear well it's it's more of just like the
1: it's just a weird kind of like dermatologists get a certain type of training allergists get a certain type of training and pediatricians get a certain type of training and somehow all of those things haven't meshed yeah that there's, there's a lot of important, like kind of cross teaching that needs to be done. And I think we're all working on that now, but, um, I think conversations like this will hopefully help parents that have children with eczema go to an allergist sooner. Um, uh, a lot sooner. And so the, I guess that's kind of really what we're hoping to do is just kind of shed light on a lot of these topics and as you are with your with your blog. And did you when
0: you had your daughter, did you guys just ask for testing immediately? Were you worried that that would be a case for her? or did did you not eat certain foods when you're breastfeeding, for instance?
2: No, we were worried. It um, we were worried it would be the case for her. But I spoke to James's consultant when I was pregnant um, with Amalia and said, you know, what should I do? Should I cut things out preemptively? And she said, no, carry on just eating a wide, healthy diet, and then you'll just be more aware of it. You know, when you start breastfeeding her. So, I did, and I was very wary that I didn't want to be looking. For signs, I didn't want to be, you know, overly conscious and expecting everything to be, but to be perfectly honest, and this is probably a slightly controversial thing, but I, I knew from day one she was allergic. Now, you know, I, various research or not research out there about with the, when children need to be sensitized and when they become allergic, but she was, she was reacting pretty much immediately. To my breast milk and i still didn't cut things straight out straight away because i wanted to you know be sure and i didn't want to be cutting things out needlessly but yeah so i cut dairy out fairly soon um and then egg and then we went through a, a bit of a confusing time because she was still reacting to things and we couldn't figure out what it was
1: and what were those reactions was it eczema for her too
2: she yeah so she started down the same path um yeah, eczema, uh, vomiting back up feeds, being very unhappy, very unsettled. Yeah, a similar part to James, but we caught it so much earlier that it never developed into the way it did. So
1: she didn't end up having to use all those steroid creams and all that kind of stuff?
2: No, we used some mild ones on her when we were still trying to figure it out. But nowhere near, no, nowhere near the same way James was. Yeah. What age were they when they first got tested? Oh, so James was nine months when he got tested. Amalia, unfortunately, despite the history of James, our family history and everything, it was still, I still had to push and I still had to fight for eventually trying to, come off breastfeeding and get an, um, a hydrolyzed formula formula for her. I really had to fight for her and also to get the testing as well. So it wasn't until, again, she had a reaction to something at six months old when I weaned her. Um, we went around in a few circles and eventually got her tested. I can't remember exactly what age she was.
1: So so on your blog, you're mostly kind of, um, you're talking about the research that you did as a parent
2: mainly yes so it's it's more based on our our story mainly just to the whole point is i want to make other parents aware and just more confident as well you know i think when you first you first get thrown in you first your first child is first diagnosed you're just scared overwhelmed feel like no one else is going through this don't know what to do the thought of how will i go to a birthday party or send them to nursery or any of that just seems so alien um it's mainly about, yeah, sharing our experiences and how we do things so that other people can realise, you know, you, you can go on and, and lead a normal life with it all. And what are your children's allergens? So James is allergic. James has actually outgrown his milk allergy. So the the milk that he had an anaphylactic reactions to uh, when he was one, he's now outgrown that completely, which is amazing. Um, He's still allergic to egg, um, peanuts, tree nuts, sesame... And garlic and feed allergens. Um, he's also allergic to pollens. Um, we think mould. That's a, a kind of undiagnosed one at the moment. But he keeps having certain asthma attacks in the bath. In the bath, that we think maybe links to that, but we're not one hundred percent sure. Um, and cat and dog. And my daughter is allergic to milk, egg, sesame, chili, cat and dog. Yeah, I think that's everything.
0: <laughs> Can they test for mould? Dr. Gupta, do you know? Is that a possibility?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a blood test for mold, and then there's also a skin prick test for mold. So, yeah, that's definitely an allergen that we can test for.
2: Yeah, we discussed it last time we went back to see the consultant. Unfortunately, James, we had trouble getting him to have his skin prick test done. He just hit a wall of, they they put the solutions on, and then when it came to the pricking part, it all went a little bit south, and um, so this time round, we didn't actually manage to get the get the skin prick test done at the last appointment.
0: Has he had a lot of skin prick tests in his lifetime?
2: He has, yeah. He has in the past, and we've we've hit a wall recently, really, with the skin prick test. And then this time, when he was in hospital for his asthma, we're trying to get the cannula in and various medicines. Is yeah, he, it was it was difficult, yeah.
1: And can you talk a little bit more about? About his asthma what um so he you said he started to have episodes of what they were calling bronchiolitis early on
2: yes they had bronchiolitis when he was a about, I think he was about 10-11 months old It um, was admitted to hospital with that and then from there on he just started having more episodes of you know initially they would call it viral wheeze or um, different breathing he's never been particularly wheezy, it's usually cough, vary and asthma so he usually, it tends to follow pretty much the same pattern every time, he gets a virus, he gets a cold of some sort and then within 24 to 48 hours he either will have gone downhill or he won't Um, and, and he gets a cough and it kicks off and then it, yeah, it progresses from there. So we've gone through phases of he's being well for many months and then often either over, um, winter particularly, obviously when there's more viruses and that around to, um, to affect him or sometimes pollen season around the kind of April, May time. We'll have other episodes, um, but yeah, unfortunately this winter he's had, he's been worse than usual. He's had quite a few, quite a few episodes this winter.
1: So I guess for me, my my question would be, is he on? So, you know, with asthma, there's kind of two different types of medications that we use. We use the, the rescue medication, which I know both of you guys are really familiar with, which is, um, you know, a medication that helps open up their airways really fast and quickly because it kind of works on the muscles in the airways. And then we also use what we call a controller medication, which kind of helps more with the inflammatory kind of component of asthma.
2: And so, um, is, is James on a controller medication right now? He is, yes. So he's been on albuterol, um... For quite a few years on varying doses, um, we've we had tried him on Montelukast in the past, the different winters, but it just didn't seem to have any effect. So they took him off that again. We're now they've now moved him to a new preventer called Flovent um, because I I've been I've been saying since we saw the consultant and no, said, I just don't think the albuterol is holding it. I don't think it's doing anything." And we keep upping the dose, but this winter's kind of shown that it just really hasn't prevented anything. So They've moved him onto another one now to in the hope that that will, will do more.
1: Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So albuterol is actually the rescue medication, right? So that's the one that he should not be using every day. Um,
2: and oh, i I must be yeah. getting my. <laughs> I'm probably getting my. Uh, my translations of medicines wrong then. Um, oh. It's clineal we call it here. Ah, uh, okay.
1: So that that must have been my another maybe of. inhaled steroid. <laughs> no, that's okay. That must have been an inhaled steroid. So this is a really <laughs> important, I think, distinction to make for people too. Is that um, you know, albuterol, also called Ventolin. Uh, okay. Also yeah. Oh, well, air wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, it's okay. Um, all, there's so many different names for the, the kind of like basically the same medication. Yeah. Um, and so if at any point people get confused, it's really just important to check in with the doctor again and just make sure, um, yeah but I think it's just more of a a UK to US (laughs) translational thing for us. Um, But yeah, so, okay. So he's been tried on a couple different controller medications that you use every day.
2: Yes. um,
1: Yes. Just during the winter season or during winter and pollen season? We've,
2: We've gone through both. So we've gone through taking him off it in kind of the summer when he's been better. We've also gone the other way and upped it and also giving him daily antihistamine during pollen season as well. When it seems that that's triggering him as well. Yeah. And so, how often is
1: he getting, um, and is he getting oral prednisone at all?
2: He has done, yeah. Um, This winter, I think he's had three bouts of it, which is why things really aren't very under control. Again, it's gone, it's varied year to year, but for whatever reason, and the consultant said here they've seen a lot more this winter. I think it's just the whatever viruses that are going around. Can
0: you just um explain a little bit about what oral prednisone is
1: for those who haven't heard about it? Sure. So oral prednisone is a steroid medication, so it's basically it's an anti-inflammatory so that that same medication that's in that controller medication that we were talking about before, it's just a it's kind of a stronger um more potent version of it that you take um, by the mouth and it actually goes to the entire body. So it really reduces inflammation in a more kind of very, um, direct way. And it's very, it's a lot more, uh, I guess potent is just the way to say it. Does that make sense? Is that what
0: James would get after going to the hospital?
2: Yeah, so it's varied at different times. Sometimes we'll get it at the hospital. We've tried before to catch it and get it at the primary care before where we can see he's going downhill to try and stop it developing any further. So, yeah, we've had it at multiple different stages, but yeah, and he hates it because it tastes horrible. Is that
0: a common line of defense, Dr. Gupta, when someone's having? What could feel like an uncontrolled situation with their asthma and they're in hospital? Um, Is it common to put them on prednisone? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious how often does that happen? Is that some like what James is going through at such a young age, you know? Like, what does his potential future path look like if he's already on a preventative and if he's had these experiences using these oral prednisone? I mean, I would be interested to know, Emma, what you guys do at home to manage his asthma other than just the medication, if there's anything that they can do. And how at such a young age, what can we do to help them as they get older?
1: Oh, so, I mean, that's interesting. Uh, that's an interesting question because actually I had pretty severe asthma when I was uh, when I was little. And then people do tend to grow out of it to a certain degree, meaning that when they're younger, they can have pretty severe asthma. And then as they get older, the severity kind of reduces. And we don't really, I mean, there's not like a clear reason as to why that exactly happens. But for some reason, the airways are just not uh, slowly become less reactive or less kind of, yeah, just irritable. And so, um, you know, hopefully that'll be the case for James that he'll kind of become less reactive. And it doesn't mean that the asthma ever completely goes away, but what it means is that he won't, he just isn't going to be as reactive does that make sense? Like once you're kind of, once you have asthma, you kind of always have the predisposition to have asthma. I think actually this might be a good time just to define asthma because we haven't really defined it. Uh, so asthma is essentially the way that I explain it to people is just that there's two different things going on. One is that the airways are more the the muscles around the airways are more sensitive. So when you get exposed to things like viruses, environmental allergens, um, your muscles will kind of tighten up more easily. And the second thing is, is those same triggers like viruses and environmental allergens can also lead to um, the release of um, inflammatory cells that can cause inflammation and irritation and, The way that we kind of know that there's a lot of inflammation and irritation in the airways is because, and especially for James, we know that is because he's just so sensitive. Mm -hmm. As soon as he gets kind of a virus, it doesn't just lead to a couple days of coughing. He kind of slides right into having a pretty severe attack. So that means that there is a lot of like kind of irritation and inflammation in his airways at baseline. So Emma, do you look out for
0: when you feel like James is going to have one of his asthma attacks is there any big signs
2: yeah so it tends to always start the same that he'll get a cough that's the first thing so he'll show signs of you know having caught a cold or having caught a virus and he'll start coughing and as i say sometimes that doesn't progress And sometimes it does. That doesn't always mean that it's going to develop into asthma, but that's our kind of first warning sign when we'll then kind of um, up his albuterol, keep him, take him to the GPs if we feel we need to at that point. Um, Then it will be a case of him just not being himself, not being able to, um, you know, carry on doing his normal activities. Um, And then when it starts to progress further, um, we'll start seeing him just working harder. So, you know, recessions in his in his chest and his neck, breathing rate getting very fast. And then when he has particularly bad ones, it's a point if he can't he can't talk in sentences anymore. So he can't complete a sentence without taking a breath anymore. Um, and that's yeah, where where his last one was kind of getting more extreme. When you, that was kind of the trigger point, then we were like, okay. Yeah, this isn't isn't going well. We were actually already at the hospital by that point, but yeah, that was a sign that it was getting particularly, yeah, bad. And how old was he
0: when this first happened? So... I'm going to rewind really quickly and ask, you cannot be diagnosed with asthma at a like until a certain age. Is that correct? That
1: is all kind of also <laughs> all over the place. And I, I I don't know, Emma, have you ever written a uh, post on that? Because I
2: haven't I'm written just, a post on it, no, but I've mentioned it in passing, but no, I've never written a full post on it. So they do say you can't, they would call it viral wheeze, generally up until five. They actually diagnosed with James with asthma before that, because of the family history because it was repeated episodes they started calling it asthma at an earlier point but then actually when we were in hospital this time some of the doctors were still referring to it as viral wheeze. Uh, the labeling
1: of when we want to call it asthma and when we don't want to call it asthma has always been one of my personal pet peeves mm-hmm. because i think that if we don't kind of define what somebody has, then it doesn't allow the parents to kind of un, like to kind of take control if that yeah. makes sense. Um, and so I think parents just kind of, um, feel kind of lost. They don't really understand why this keeps happening and why they're being treated with medications that are yeah. used for asthma, but then no one's calling it asthma. And so, uh, I don't really know why it's, why the community has kind of come to this weird kind of pattern. But Mm -hmm. for me, I think I, I start talking about asthma pretty early on when I think that there is an allergic predisposition in the family. And I kind of, kind of start talking about this probably is asthma early on, just so parents can kind of get a hold of it better. And then if it turns out that it was a very transient kind of wheezing and the kid is just totally fine after a year, then we can kind of go backwards and just say yeah. never mind this wasn't really you know it doesn't look like he has asthma it looks like it was just kind of a um you know reactive airways just that he was kind of sensitive in this time in his life but now it looks like things are totally fine does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I think that's really important because I think, as you say, it's treated the same. You you put an asthma medication, you you know, you're still giving the same kind of treatment plan. And I think, as you say, it's difficult for parents. It's also difficult then to communicate it to other people because obviously, when James went to preschool, he went to school. We had to talk to them about his asthma, have an asthma emergency plan in place. And if you're having to call it a viral wheeze plan, it doesn't, you know, if you want people to take it seriously, which they need to, then sometimes having that label is kind of needed. to to be able to communicate that to other people, you know, teachers and caregivers have heard of asthma. They, they didn't not understand it, but they understand the basics of what that means. So you start saying viral wheeze, it doesn't really have the same resonance.
1: Yeah. It just becomes confusing for everybody. I totally agree. So, um, yeah, I think that makes sense. And so through your blogging, what, what do you feel are, are the most common questions that people have about asthma in particular?
2: Oh, that's a good one. Um, With asthma, I think the treatment is confusing, you know, and, and things will often be thrown about here. And again, sometimes it's a disconnection between the primary care and then what things, how things might be treated at the hospital or if, if you um, sometimes getting a referral can be difficult to, to get to the consultant or to get to the asthma department at the hospital. So a lot of it is then treated at primary care where maybe we haven't always got the knowledge or the kind of depth of understanding of things. So um, people don't necessarily understand what treatment they're being put on, especially Montelukast is thrown about a fair amount over here and also not actually two things not understanding how they should be taking their medication you know how important it is to take it consistently and i think people also have this fear of the word steroid of my my young child is being put on steroids and that's a bad thing and so they try to take them off them too early or try not to give them as much because they feel like it's a bad thing that they're giving their child steroids
1: yeah, and we actually talk about that a little bit um, during one of our episodes in regards to eczema in particular, but it, it kind of holds true for any of the allergic conditions. Um, steroids and either you know topical steroids for the eczema or inhaled steroids for the asthma um, are kind of a very, it's a very critical uh, preventative step to make sure that things don't get even worse, right? Mm -hmm. And so for James, it's really important for him to be on the inhaled steroids at the highest dose that he needs in order to prevent him from getting the oral steroids because the oral steroids are generally associated with more side effects because they're affecting the entire body. They're not just kind of targeted towards the lungs. And I think that's the other thing that I talk to parents about a lot is that the inhaled steroids aren't the oral steroids, right? So inhaled steroids are only going into the airways. They're only affecting the airways, whereas the oral steroids are going all throughout the entire body and they're able to affect The eyes, the heart, the, you know, the skin, they're, they're kind of affecting every part of the body and not just the airways, not just the lungs. And so that's why it's so critical to stay on those inhaled steroids in order to prevent the child from getting the oral steroids.
0: And other than the preventative, like the medication side, is there anything that you guys do at home or that you do with James to help him manage his asthma? in
2: terms of trying to prevent triggers we do have um we have an air purifier at home we have a vacuum cleaner you know that has a hepa filter in it and we try to kind of keep the air clear to be honest they're not i'm not quite sure over how much they do i think they have helped in pollen season in terms of as i said his main triggers are, are viral and there's not apart from not letting him go to school which is where he picks most of them up um there's not that much we can do to prevent that side of things, but we do try to, yeah, with uh, I I feel like I did see an improvement in pollen season using the air filter when they were sleeping. And also we just try to help him understand it and manage it as well and feel confident about him it. So um now he's a bit older, he uses his peak flow every day. I don't know if you call it the same thing where he blows into it and it gives a number reading to see um how well his lung functions doing. Um so we do that so we can help him kind of understand when he's doing well or you know when he's pay more attention and also just helping him be able to communicate it when he's at school or when he's not feeling well um and make sure that he's very clear about that and something we've had to be doing recently is making sure that he never uses it as an excuse for something to say oh i don't want to go and do physical activity today i don't want to go outside oh i've got a cough so we've had to have a lot of conversations about you know you, you must never make anything up you know you must only ever say something when it's when it's true so that you know your teachers understand when to take it seriously um yeah so make sure that he he fully understands why we're doing things and how things work
1: I think that's so interesting for me to hear that you know he's only five years old and he's already kind of figured out that this is a good way (laughs) to kind of get out of things you know um to kind of figure out how he can kind of finagle the the system because he knows that you guys are so worried about his asthma yeah
2: exactly yeah and yeah. particularly on, on this most recent episode because it was quite a bad one and he was admitted to hospital and he had to have a lot more medicine than usual and so we kept him in for a couple of days at school and you know so he so he then he was trying to push it the next week oh I've got a cough no you haven't
1: <laughs> wow yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's but
2: the same with colleges, with both of them. You know, we want him to understand the medication and the reactions and the asthma attacks, but also to be able to communicate that properly when he needs to. Um, so, because when you know, he is at school now, so we're not always there when something happens, and we need him to be able to kind of advocate for himself properly
1: yeah and how was that experience of having him in school like does how was that like the transition you know from him being at home with you all the time and then being at school?
2: It's scary. It's difficult always to, you know, because you're used to watching them all the time, and because you know, you know their reactions, you know their asthma, and you can spot signs a lot quicker. And obviously, you haven't got another however many children to watch at the same time. Um, but his school's been really good. We we went um, in to everything very thoroughly with them. Um, you know, I sat down with him when he got his place accepted and went through a whole management plan of everything I wanted to cover in terms of how we manage the allergies, how we manage the asthma. Um, we put care plans together um, and they've been really receptive and they've been really good at managing it. And when he has had any symptoms at school, um, they're very good at communicating. So we've yeah, we've been lucky. But I think mainly it was about the communication and that kind of working together.
1: Is he in a nut free school or?
2: He's not in a nut-free school, no. Um, there are a fair few nut-free schools around. We have nut-free schools around here. Um, I chose his school mainly because I liked the school and for other reasons, but I also don't didn't necessarily want him in a nut-free school because he has the multiple allergens and I want them all to be understood and treated equally. I feel sometimes if it's a nut-free school, it gives that feeling that the nuts are more dangerous. <laughs> Need to be taken more seriously than others. So no, he's not in a nut-free school. We have lots of different things in place. Like he always sits in the same place at the end of the table. Um, His area is always wiped down. All the children have to wash or wipe their hands after they've eaten. Um, They don't have food in the classroom. So we've got lots of different different kind of management steps in place.
1: That's great. That's great that they're willing to do that.
2: Yeah, we have been lucky. They've been very receptive with it because they haven't had um, or they don't have any other children with with serious allergies. I think they've got a couple of dairy-free ones. I think they've got a a girl with celiac disease, but they haven't got anyone else. It's quite a small school. Um, They haven't got anybody else with, with serious allergies. And how about Amalia? Does she have any asthma? Fingers crossed, no, not at the moment. She's not showing any signs of it. So she's had a few respiratory issues with croup and infections and things, but she hasn't shown any signs of... Of viral ease of asthma the way James had and James has just started a lot earlier than this. I'm conscious obviously that it can always start later and she's got the profile of you know the egg allergy and the eczema and the genetics and the things that suggest it may do but so far she's three at the moment and so far no she hasn't.
1: That's great.
2: So
0: we have a lot we can talk to Emma about actually because we haven't even hit on the full allergy story and we're actually going to be inviting emma back to talk more about what it's like to be a mom managing multiple food allergies with two kids with multiple food allergies Um, but before we go i just wanted to ask dr gupta what are some signs that a parent can look out for to see if they're if they feel like their child might be experiencing some symptoms of asthma Um, when should they go see their doctor? What, what are the first steps that they can take?
1: Yeah. So I think that, you know, as in the case of James, he mostly has his episodes after he gets, uh, you know, a viral infection and viruses for all people, all children can cause coughs. Um, and they can cause, you know, difficulty kind of breathing, but when you really have to worry is when there's kind of that wheezing and coughing and that increased kind of um, respiratory rate. So breathing really fast. And when that doesn't just kind of resolve after maybe like a night or two in the beginning of having that virus, when it kind of lingers, that's really when we start thinking that there might be something else going on. And then obviously, if that kind of coughing, wheezing, shortness of breath doesn't really resolve after just kind of. Um, if it just kind of keeps getting worse and it seems that it's not getting better to the point where, for example, Emma has taken James to the hospital, that's when it's, You know, it's not getting better with just the um, maybe like I don't really love cough suppressants uh, for for infants or for uh, little children. But, you know, if you're using like a cough syrup and it's not getting better and it just seems to be getting worse and you end up at the hospital and they need they use that nebulizer and the nebulizer works. That's really when we start thinking that it's looking more like asthma. And so I think the things to watch out for, again, are just symptoms of like coughing, wheezing, um, shortness of breath that don't that don't seem like just a normal, mild cold, um, where it just kind of keeps get worsening. And the symptoms just kind of don't get better um, without needing some kind of extra intervention. And then the first place they would go to is to their GP yeah. I think the first place is always to start with your pediatrician because they know you the best, right? Going to an urgent care, going to the emergency room, unless it is an emergency. So if your child is ha- you know, in the middle of the night having extreme difficulty breathing, then you have to go to the emergency room. But if it's during the day and you can go in to see your pediatrician and they're not having any extreme difficulty in breathing, then the first step is always your pediatrician because again, they know your your history. They know James the best. And so that would be the first place to start always great
0: and emma let's leave off with this question what would your one piece of advice be to any parent whose child has been newly diagnosed with asthma
2: oh um my first piece of advice would be don't panic um you know it's scary and probably if they've just been diagnosed with asthma then you've seen them struggling to breathe you've been through that you know that difficult Erin, it's easy to then, you know, want to sit up and watch them all night um, to see if they carry on breathing. Um, arm yourself with as much information as you can. Talk to your GP. Um, give the medicine uh, consistently and properly. Um, and if you have any concerns, trust your instinct. Go and see the GP again. Don't be afraid of pushing for more information on more care and if you're uncertain at all in the middle of the night about their breathing take them take them to a and e take them to er and get them checked out great thank
0: you do you have anything to add before we sign out dr gupta no i think that
1: all of that advice is perfect advice i especially love that kind of emphasis on having parents just make sure that they're giving the medications as they were prescribed. I think that's, that's probably the main, main, main thing with asthma is just kind of sticking to a plan that, you know, you've come up with, with your doctor. So thank you, Emma. Those, that's great advice. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. You can always stay up to date by checking out our instagram the itch podcast where you can leave questions you are itching to know or check out our website which is www.itchpodcast.com which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode until next time have a fabulous week